0: As a part of that that celebration, I think that it would be very smart for us to consider what we should be doing in light of what Jesus has done for us. We don't do anything in order to earn salvation, but once we have gained salvation, there are lots for us to do. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, a common joke Uh, that you'll find in many businesses, even in many ministries, is that whoever is absent from the meeting gets the worst jobs. Amen? They get volunteered for the worst jobs. But when you're serving God, in the economy of God, there are no worst jobs. There are only very important jobs for us to fulfill. Paul summarized the essence of the Christian life and he summarized the work of the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 that goes like this. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We can apply that to our Christian lives and we can apply that to the work of the church. Even in down times, even in the discouraging times, even in the distant times when God doesn't seem to be anywhere close to you, our responsibility is to continue to walk by faith and to live continually doing what God wants us to do. Now, we recognize that there will always be seasons in the Christian life. There will always be seasons... In the church life, there will be ebbs and flows in the church life. There will be some seasons of abundance. There will be other seasons of dryness. There will be some seasons that seem to be so awesome, the blessings come and they keep on coming. Amen. But here is the key. In every season of your Christian life and in every season of the church, We are called to continue God's work no matter what. Especially if we expect future generations to be prepared to live for the Lord and to raise their families to do the same. We must continue doing the work of the Lord no matter what season we are in. Now in our series entitled God's Blueprint for Rebuilding His Church and Your Life we have found that God has given Nehemiah a vision. A vision to rebuild the walls that surround the capital city of Jerusalem. And we found that Nehemiah has done an amazing job. And he did it in record time. But once that job was completed, God had an even more difficult job for Nehemiah to do. He called the governor, Nehemiah, to begin rebuilding the hearts of, And the minds of God's people. To accomplish this. Nehemiah set forth. To direct God's people. To get back to the book. He directed God's people. To make sure. That they were serious about their obedience to God. He directed God's people. To be sure that they were concerned. About sin in their life. And all those things. Would lead them. To get committed to God. But today we recognize this. We recognize that there is often a very significant gap between being committed to God and our service for God. Many believers will tell you, I'm committed to the God, to God. But then when you look at their service for God, there's this gap that's missing. Today, in chapter 11 of Nehemiah, although the walls were rebuilt, we find that nobody wanted to live in the city anymore. They preferred to live out in the country. And can I tell you, I get that. Back in the 1980s, when I moved up to North Alabama from Miami, Florida, eh, right? Anyway, I immediately fell in love with the slower pace in North Alabama. I fell in love with the friendlier people in North Alabama. I fell in love with the season changes. It's just hot down there all the time. Amen. But I wondered, what in the world was I thinking wanting to to live in a big city? It was awful. But listen, the reason that the Israelites didn't want to live in the city was because they were living in fear. They were living in fear because they thought that Jerusalem would be attacked again. And that they and maybe even their families might get killed. So as we see how Nehemiah prepared God's people to serve God then. We also see how the church should be prepared to serve God now. So that the next generation will serve God tomorrow. First. I want you to notice this, the process of preparation. The process of preparation. In the first verse of Nehemiah chapter 11, the Bible says, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine tenths were to dwell in other cities or in the countryside. Verse 2, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now what you need to know is this. During this time, the towns in Israel were very small. Only about 12 acres or so. The size of a small Alabama farm. But the people enjoyed country living. How many of you enjoy country living? Every one of you better raise your hand because we ain't got no cities around here. Amen? But here's the deal. Since the walls were repaired, since the people had regained their focus on serving God, it was now time for Jerusalem to be repopulated. It was now time for Jerusalem to be restored as the prominent city in Israel. Chapter 11 opens with the leaders casting lots. They're throwing dice to see... Who would come to live in the city? Now, casting lots is where we get our word for lottery. How many of you have played the lottery before? Don't raise your hand. Amen. We'll, we'll leave that one be. But that's where we get the word for lottery when they used to cast lots. So they wanted to have a lottery to see who was going to be selected to live in the city. But remember, this is a lottery that didn't nobody want to win, they wanted to stay out in the country. But if Jerusalem was ever going to attain its prominence as the capital city in Israel, then people were going to have to come into town and repopulate the city. So, 10% of the population were selected by lottery to come in. They were drafted to live in the newly walled city. While the remaining 90% remained out in the countryside enjoying country living. Now, there was also something that happened in addition to this draft. In addition to this lottery, there were also many who volunteered. Did you hear what the Bible said? There were those who willingly offered themselves. And that's what the word volunteer in the Hebrew language means. To willingly offer yourself for something greater than yourself. There were people who said, I can do that. There were people who said, you know, we ought to set aside our own personal desires and help all that we can to reestablish Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. Here's what happened. Those volunteers had caught God's vision. They caught God's vision and they volunteered to make the vision happen. So, whether the process included being drafted by lottery... Or raising their hands as a volunteer. The one thing that we can see is. Is that God's people were preparing themselves to serve him. Friend i don't have to remind you. That God knows who serves him. Especially the volunteers. So with that being said. Let's take a little look at the people of preparation. That was the process of preparation. Let's look at the people. Uh, I'm not going to read this long list of people's names that moved into Jerusalem. But listen, their importance cannot be overlooked. These were important people. They were real people. These people had real dreams. They had real hopes. And they wanted to do the will of God in reestablishing the city of God. And so this morning, I'm going to mention just some family names and some various groups that we find in Nehemiah chapter 11. In verses 4 through 9, for instance, we find the first group who were comprised of the draftees and the volunteers that came from the families of Judah and Benjamin, about 1,500 draftees and volunteers. In verses 10 through 12 and also in verse 22, we find a second group that worked in the temple. About 822 priests, servants, and singers who led in the worship and in the sacrifices. In verses 13 and 14 and verse 19, we recognize a third group who guarded and kept watch over the city. The Bible says about 128 mighty men of valor. Mighty men of great courage. There was a fourth group in verses 15 and through 18. About 284 Levites who were not only responsible for praying. They were not only responsible for corporate thanksgiving. They were also responsible for the business matters outside the church. And then there was that fifth group in verse 22. It was an overseer named Uzi. And Uzi was ultimately responsible for making sure that the people were equipped to do what God wanted them to do. Now as we look at those five groups that are listed there in Nehemiah chapter 11, we see that they correspond nicely to similar ministries in the Lord's church. Let me give you some examples. In the church, we obviously have attenders. And attenders are very, very important. Attenders ascertain God's will, and then they carry God's will out into the world beyond these walls to try to draw as many people to God as they can. They're attenders. Can I just say here that every one of us here, regardless of what other job you may have, you are to do the job of an attender. We all have that responsibility to carry God's will outside these walls. Second little uh, ministry are the laborers. Laborers who often work behind the scenes. They're going to be doing stuff and you won't even know it. They work behind the scenes to make sure that the house of God runs smoothly. That the house of God is in order. Then there's the protectors. Those that guard and defend against threats from outside the walls so that you and I can worship and pray and get equipped to do God's will. I'm thankful that we have protectors. You don't know who our security team is, but they know who you are. And they're watching every door for our children's ministry and for our worship service. So continue to pray for them. But we also have dedicators. We've got attenders, laborers, we've got protectors, and we've got dedicators. Those who are devoted. I'm talking about absolutely committed to praying and interceding on your behalf and on behalf of all those that we find on our prayer list. They are dedicators. They pray for the sick. They pray for the afflicted. They pray for the lost. They pray for the grieving. They are dedicators. But there are also administrators, those who diligently take care of the sometimes tedious and absolutely complex business of the church. There are those in our church family who take care of this work that nobody else wants to do, and you know who they are. But there are also overseers, those who lead and teach God's Word and equip everyone to go out and do God's work to be missionaries Outside the walls of the church. And finally, there are celebrators. Celebrators who lead God's people in worship and in praise and in thanksgiving. My question for you this morning is this Do you see where you fit in that list? Are you an attender, a laborer behind the scenes, a protector, a dedicator? Are you an administrator, an overseer? Are you a celebrator? Those are by far not the only jobs within the church, not the only works of service within the church. But we need people that fit in these categories and many others so that the church will function properly, not only in Jerusalem's time, but in our time as well. Here's the idea that every one of us need to get today. If you're listening, say amen. Here's the deal. Every single Christian fits inside the body of Christ somewhere. Every one of us have something that God wants us to do. That God has gifted us to do. So whatever the believer has been gifted to do, whatever that believer is called to do, the goal is the same. We bring all of our gifts together, bring them all together, and we accomplish God's will For God's glory. There's something within the body of Christ that God is leading you to do. Now our challenge is this. As individual believers, we have to identify where our giftedness is. What has God gifted you to do? We have to identify and discern what role we have in the body at large. We have to make sure that we use our gifts to serve God. Because listen, if God has gifted you, and he gives you discernment about how to use that gift, and you choose not to use it, do you know what's going to happen? Eventually he's going to say, he ain't using them, I'll give that gift to someone else, right? So use your gifts. Here at Bethel Baptist Church, we recognize that every single gift is important. There is no such thing as a lesser gift. Everyone's gifts are on equal footing at the foot of the cross. Your gift is just as important as my gift. And my gift just as important as your gift. But our gifts are given by God. And if they're given by God, that makes them very, very important. And so we need to recognize that God intends us to use our gifts for His glory. So friend, whatever you do... Whatever you do, don't deny others the blessing of your gift. And by all means, don't deny yourself the gift of getting it. It's a blessing when you're using your gifts in the role that God has set forth in the body of Christ. We are a family. Somebody say family. We are a family. We are the family of God And we want to make sure that we serve Him the way that the Lord has called us. He's called us to serve in humility. My gift ain't no better than yours. He's called us to serve in unity. Serving as one. And He's called us to serve in diversity. The diversity of all of our different gifts. So we've looked at the process of preparation. We've looked at the people of preparation. Now I want to give you my third and final point, and that is this, the principles of preparation. These are things you need to understand as you prepare to serve God in the church. Number one, whether you are in Jerusalem or whether you're a part of the local church, these three principles should prepare you to serve God. Number one, necessity, not popularity, is the rule of the body. Somebody say amen. Necessity, not popularity, is the rule of the body. Listen, friend. It don't matter who you are outside the church. It does not matter who you are outside the church. It doesn't matter if you're famous or rich or if you're unknown and poor. It doesn't matter outside the church because in the church, listen carefully, you are Necessary. Doesn't matter who you are out there. In here, you are necessary. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. The Bible tells us that we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think about that. God has done a work in you. And you've come in, come into the body of Christ and now he's got some work for you to do. Those things that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And listen friend, you're not necessary because of what the world says about you. You are necessary because of what Jesus says about you. What does Jesus say about me, Bill? Well, Jesus says, as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Amen. Jesus loves you. That's why He's gifted you the way He has, and He's given you this privilege of serving Him. He says, "As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. No longer do I call you servants, because a servant don't know what his master's doing. I have called you friends, friends, friends of God, friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, you are necessary." And you're necessary because of what Jesus says about you. Jesus gave his life for you. That should make you understand just how necessary, just how important you really are. He gave his life for you. And friend, if you have placed your faith, if you have placed your trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you, then that means you are part of the body. You are part of the family of God, and He wants you to serve Him for His glory. Now, so that leaves us that necessity, not popularity, is the rule of the body. Second principle is this. Service, not importance, is the basis of reward. See, most of the names that we find in Nehemiah chapter 11, you don't find them anywhere else in the Bible. Only there. Most of these people uh, weren't very important to on earth. But you know what? They sure were important to God. You are important to God. God knew their names not because they were prominent people in Israel. He knew their names because they were willing and faithful to do the work of God. And Can I tell you this? God will remember and God will reward followers of Christ for the same reason. Listen. A willingness to serve God. He'll remember you and He'll reward you as you willingly serve Him. The key verse teaching that truth is in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. The Bible says that God is not unjust. That He will not forget how hard you've worked for Him. And how you showed your love to Him by caring for other believers. God sees the work that you do. God sees how hard you work. God sees how much you show your love for him by caring for other people. So God doesn't overlook the work that you do. No matter how menial, no matter how trivial, no matter how monotonous your work may seem for the Lord, he never will overlook your work. You know, in one of the last words that Jesus gives us in the Bible, in Revelation 22:12, the Bible says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He's gonna reward you for serving him. So, service, not importance, is the basis of our reward. Finally, I gotta tell you that it's an honor to be drafted, it's an honor to be chosen, but it's heavenly to volunteer. Being chosen. And submitting to God's will is amazing. About 16 years ago, a committee in this church chose and asked me to come and be the pastor. And that was a a huge honor for me. But can I tell you that being like Isaiah saying, here am I, send me, is one thing. But those who say, hey, I can do that. Those who are willing to volunteer, that's a whole different animal altogether. If you say, here, I, here am I, send me, you've captured the heart of God. He loves to volunteer, amen. But the, one, the ones in Jerusalem who won that lottery, oh man, they were fortunate. They were blessed. They were chosen to come and live in the city. But then there were those who raised their hand. and They said, wait a minute. What about me? I can do that. I don't know what all it will entail. But I know that if I volunteer, God will equip me to do what's required. To do His work for His glory. You see, it's an honor to be drafted. It's heavenly to volunteer. Friend, if you, through faith in Jesus, have become part of this church, you are necessary you are necessary and god has something that he wants you to be doing if he calls you and you say yes lord blessed you will be however even better if you look around and you see a need in the body and you say wait a minute i can do that god will enable me to do that use me lord You know, after much disobedience and much rebellion in my own life, I have finally discovered the greatest blessing that God bestows upon His children. And that is the privilege of being used for something far, far greater than myself. To be used for something that is eternal. What an honor, what a privilege to be used for the glory of God. He wants you to be used the same way. God wants to use you too. Will you serve Him? You don't have to think that you've got to be somebody special. Don't think that you've got to be somebody popular or even exceptional. I mean, look at me, right? God just wants to use you. Will you serve Him? God specializes in using those who will humble themselves and submit to His plan and purposes. Will you serve Him? Will you yield your life? Will you give yourself over to him today? And you know, that's really the crux of what Jesus was teaching at the Lord's Supper that day up in the upper room. He was basically asking them, will you yield your life completely to me? And we all know their response. When it came time for Jesus to invest in you. When it came time for Jesus to invest in his apostles. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 22. When Jesus' hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Now I understand that many of you don't know who the 12 apostles are. Well, we're going to try to teach you who the 12 apostles are. So all the kids that are going to sing, come on up. All right. Here, we're going to move this one back here. You're going to sing into that one. All right. Y'all come on up here. Get in a big semicircle. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I know what you're thinking before you think it. Okay. You get right there, You Get right there in that corner right there. Here you go. Okay. Back up a little bit. Back up. when we hear everybody's voice? Y'all get up here. Come on, y'all. Okay. All right. We're going to play that video. Y'all ready? Y'all sing. about the twelve, twelve disciples. disciples, it's a twelve, twelve, disciples, disciples, song. twelve disciples, disciples song, twelve disciples song is a song about the twelve disciples, disciples. it's a twelve, disciples twelve disciples song. song, here we go, Peter, Andrew,
1: James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and the taxman, they called Matthew, James, the son of the Thaddeus. Thaddeus, by his side was Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, who betrays, well, they to take his please. place These are the twelve That Jesus knew He sent them out With things to do Some they believed Some took their time believing All he said was true Oh Jesus, I Believe
0: in you So of twelve disciples Twelve disciples Alright, get it!
1: James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and a tax man they called Matthew. James, a son of Alphaeus, by his side was Thaddeus, Simon said Judas to betray, so they told Matthias to take his place. These are the twelve that Jesus knew, he sent I believe in you. Oh, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, disciples.
0: song. Very good. Give him a hand. Great job, y'all. All right, scram. Go, Daddy. Scram. Amen. That's exactly, that's exactly how it is, too. Amen. Herding cats. Amen. What a blessing it is, friend. How many of you knew who the apostles were before that song? Amen. Well, we're introducing all of our children to all the disciples and all the apostles, and we're training them up to know who those apostles were. But you know, in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, we learn something further about these apostles. In verse 15, Jesus said to those apostles, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, this is my last meal with you guys. He goes on to say that he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, this is my last drink while I'm here on earth. The apostles were men. Who yielded their lives for the cause of Christ? And can I tell you that Jesus calls you to do the same? And the reason He does is because that kind of becomes a definitive statement of how much you love Jesus. Will you serve Him? If you would, there are some elements in front of you, of the you behind you. If you take that and the very top portion. If you'll peel that back, you'll find a little wafer of of bread. After you get that peeled back and you have that bread, just hold it up so I can see that you're ready. We got it? Okay. Listen carefully. Before we observe this, we ought to examine the answers to this question or these questions. Do you love Jesus? Ask yourself that question. Do you love Jesus? Secondly, is your love for Jesus growing? Is your love for Jesus growing? Friend, are you adamant About other people knowing the love of Christ. You see, Jesus loves people. He loves all people. And his call is that we love people as well. And so what Jesus did is he willingly offered himself. Remember we said the the definition of volunteer? Is to willingly offer ourselves. Jesus willingly offered himself as a sacrifice. He offered himself as a payment, as a ransom for the sins of every person that has ever lived on this planet. Let me pray for you. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for your son who gave his body so unselfishly and so willingly so that our sins could be forgiven. We praise you and we thank you in his name and all God's people said. In verse 19, the Bible says that Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to each one of the apostles. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would carefully remove the next portion, the juice. Everybody got it? You see, the sacrifice of Jesus was not just for the sins you committed yesterday or last month or last year. Those that sacrifice is amazing. That sacrifice is lovely in every sense of the word, but that's not the whole story because Jesus did not only die for the sins you committed yesterday. He also died for a forgiveness of the sins you'd commit tomorrow. We don't want to, but living in the flesh amongst broken people in a broken world, we know that sin... Is a constant battle. And so what did Jesus do? He shed his blood. To cover our future sins. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus we praise you. And thank you that not only did you. Give of your body so freely. But you also shed your blood. And we know what the word of God says. That that forgiveness only comes. Where there is remission of sin. And Father we need. Lord we need that forgiveness that you offer. And so we praise you. And we remember you and we thank you in your name and all God's people said. In verse 21, the Bible says, Likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is of the new covenant in my name, which is shed for you. Shed for you. Friends, we do that, this ordinance, periodically because we never want to forget that Jesus gave his body for me. We never want to forget that Jesus shed his blood for me and for you. So what about you? What about you? Are your sins forgiven? You know, the ones yesterday and the ones that are coming tomorrow? When your days on earth are through, will you be joining God in an eternity in heaven? So many people say, Brother Bill, I sure hope so. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have to hope so. You can know so. Because when you come by faith in Jesus Christ, not only does his body cover yesterday's sins, his blood will cover tomorrow's sins too. Friend, if you have never accepted God's pardon of your sin that we illustrated in this ordinance this morning. Now is the time. Are you listening? Now is the time for you to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved from the penalty of sin. Let me pray for you once again. Father God, we thank you that you saw our sin cancer and you provided the remission we needed Father, you provided the cure, and we are eternally grateful to you, and we just humbly ask that if there's one in the building, if there's one online that is listening, that has not come to faith, they've not yet given their lives for your glory, Lord, that today would be their day. Father, help them to take the first step of faith, and the rest you will just lift them and carry them. Lord, if they'll come forward. I'll share with them how they can instantly be saved from the penalty of sin and be guaranteed an eternity in heaven. Lord, this is your invitation and this is your people's decision time. Help them to come if it be your will. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say it.